I hope that message of that song truly is resonating in your hearts, right? Fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. We live in days where uh, there's a temptation to give in to fear, right? Or just try to figure out what's going on. I was talking with somebody this week who's involved in the medical community. Well, Ben Balzer. Um, works as a full-time ER nurse and then is finishing up med school. And uh, just said, you should plan on another year of this as far as COVID um, issues. And, and I'm going, uh. <laughs> But I think it's a realistic thought. So the question is, what, what do you need to do to do the next year well in regard to that. And for some of us, it, you know, it's, it's a little more challenging to continue relationships with others, but it's like then you have to become more intentional, right? And I fully understand, like some of you, you know, you isolated for a couple months just so you could go downstate and see family for Christmas. And that, that makes sense, but then... If you're not going to be with others, you have a responsibility with your children to train them in the way of Christ, whether you're here or not, right? And so that means that family time together that way becomes more intentional. Um, there's, there's just so many things to chase with that, right? But at the same time, it's like God has good intent for our lives through all of this. And to fully believe that, then our fears can be driven back. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about this whole thing of where is our source of peace or value, so to speak. And uh, one of the things that um, catches my attention in this is that um, we try to sort out what things really make us feel centered or, you know, stable. And uh, there are a number of factors involved. I, I used to try to define this for myself, and I, I felt a little more peace when I realized that, you know, in the early days of psychology, guys were trying to define the meaning for man, and, and they all had different approaches, and, and they didn't, you know, they were... It's not simple. That's the bottom line. But for me, to recognize that peace with God, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all life, is core to any sense of meaning and purpose and peace that comes out of that, is, it, it's critical to my life. You know, to say God has a, an understanding of this, He's good and compassionate, so his investment in me has a positive end. And even as I walk through that to say he has power and authority over all the events that are taking place in, in, at every level, and, and so I can trust that as I understand his ways, as I understand the principles that he has laid down, the fullness of life that I'm longing for is available. 
That said, there are secondary factors that I think about, and it's like the consistency of what I hold as a value and how I act in attitude and behavior has a lot to do with my own personal peace. Um, you know, it's uh, conscience is one of those things kind of attached to that. And when we violate what we hold at some level and, you know, we're carrying that sense of guilt or shame over the incident or incidents, there's a, um, something in us that just goes, this could have been done better. I should have done better. And it's, it's a wondrous thing to go back to the Lord, even in that, and be able to say, please help me turn direction. Help me to put this thing right. Um, but I also, you know, in that way of consistency of thought and value, I also think about the health of relationships, right? Um, and quite honestly, if Char and I aren't getting along, I don't care how well it goes here. It's just not that good, personally. You know, if, and you find that the same is with your family, you know, and, and those spheres that are going outward, you know, it's good to be in a healthy group of believers. It's good to be in a healthy community. It's good to be in a healthy society. You know, it, it, those all affect our thought of, of peace and well-being, right? But kind of in that secondary level. And, and then another thing that I, I chew on is just that whole sense of accomplishment because all of us have a drive or a sense of destiny and direction and purpose. And, and so we're, that will to accomplish and achieve, is, it's in each of us. And how well we're doing on that path affects a lot how we feel about ourselves. Um, because we, we do chase excellence, and we, do, we are designed for activity and work from the very beginning. That said, um, this week I was reading the story out of Acts chapter 3 of the lame beggar, and I'm realizing that at a multitude of levels, um, the, this story was better than a made-up parable as far as even the imagery that you can pull out of it. And, uh, you know, I, there are times when I read fiction, uh, I'm probably most drawn toward political intrigue or um, espionage novels and whatever, you know. I haven't been doing much reading that way because reality right now is more intriguing than the fiction, you know, and, and I'm kind of every day, what new is going to take place? This particular story, uh, I'm drawn to it for a number of things, and I, I want to kind of walk through it quickly, then, then talk about it, uh, kind of unpack what I see happening in it. Uh, in Acts chapter 3, beginning of the chapter, it says, Peter and John were going to the temple, a time for prayer, three in the afternoon, and a lame man from birth was being carried up, who was placed at the temple gate called Beautiful. So <laughs> this man with deformity is at the Beautiful gate. 
And uh, he's put there so he could beg. These people went in to the temple courts. Uh, later in Acts chapter 4, the next chapter as the story is continued, you find out that he's over 40 years old. So crippled from birth, over 40. Get this picture because that means the musculature in his legs never would have developed properly. And if you've ever been in a place where you've seen somebody who's crippled but doesn't have access to wheelchairs and such, and they're dragging themselves around on their arms, you'll see these little frail things that should be legs, but they're just kind of wrapped up around them, and and there's, there's no musculature because they don't get used. And, and so this frail body would have been carted in and set down where he could beg. When he saw Peter and John, he asked them for money. So that's his job. And you can imagine when he was born, there would have been a, a sorrow in the family, recognizing that, that he's lame. There would have been a sympathy toward him for his whole life. He's figured out how to make money off of the sympathy. But also, his parents, you know, in a practical sense, um, they could have been going, well, there goes the retirement, because in that culture, uh, children would take care of their parents when they got old as part of the culture. So, you know, they're, they're looking at, Oh, what happened here? Um, So Peter looks directly at him and says, look at us. And you know when people are asking for money, how it's easy to just kind of, I didn't even see him (laughs) on by, right? Eye contact is unwanted because it, it, it calls you to some kind of action. And... Peter basically stops and, you know, the guy's probably already passed them on. He's looking at his next mark, but Peter calls his attention. And then he says, I don't have any money. (laughs) Well, great guy, don't waste my time. But then he says, but what I have, I'm going to give to you in the name of Jesus of Christ of of the Nazarene, rise up and walk. Uh, Powerful. Peter takes him by the hand, picks him up, and he's healed, which means not only do those joints have to work, but the musculature has to develop. So a a fabulous miracle. And uh, it says he jumped up, stood, began walking around, and then he entered the temple courts with them walking and leaping and praising God. You know, we can say, well, when's the last time that any of us walked and leaped praising God because of our ability to walk and leap? We don't do that. We're Scandinavian. Um, no, <laughs> you know how it is. It, it, but the joy of being able to walk and leap probably should capture our joy at some point now and then. It just, the fact that, that we're able to walk at all should be a glorious insight, at least some of the time. But it it goes on and it says, people saw him walking and praising God. They recognized him as a man who used to sit asking for donations. 
and they were filled with astonishment and amazement. Now, here's what I want to kind of unpack for a bit. Every day, this man is being brought to the temple, and so he's being confronted with this facility that's making a declaration that says, God has chosen to allow himself to be known by his people, and this is, in a sense, where you meet God. So he's saying, God who cares for his people, or what he's seeing, is that even though he can't walk and he doesn't have the benefit that others do, he's at the place where it's acknowledged that God loves us. It's kind of a brutal thing, right? Watching everyone else go into the temple. And here's the thing. He's at the beautiful gate, but he is not entering in. He's there to do his job. And so in some ways, it's like, is the goodness of God real for this life as well? Or does God just want you watching everyone else and the goodness of God that's a part of their lives? So, you know, you look at that and you go, okay, but culturally he's, he's also, he's born at a time where it's, it's not a good thing to have any kind of deformity or disability. Remember in John chapter 9 when Jesus is, uh, he sees a blind man and the disciples come to him and say, who sinned, this guy or his parents? Because physical ailment in that day was seen as, a, as definitely a sign of sin. And so this man would have been labeled as a sinner simply because he couldn't walk. So he's laying on the ground outside the gate, culturally labeled in a detrimental way, can't get into the temple. And he's recognizing every day, here's the declaration of God loves me. If he's been disabled from birth, he's over 40 years old, my assumption is that he probably never got to experience marriage. It's a guess, right? Never got to experience children. So he is experiencing a form of isolation and loneliness that as he sits watching the place that represents the goodness of God, he's, he's watching a life that will never be his. So he's, he's, he's already, for that day, past his prime, and entering into old age for that society. So he's, he's been young and watched everyone moving on. He's watched them stepping into normal life activity, and he's watching. He has watched middle age. And now he's, he's even in old age, acknowledging that that's not been my life. So in some ways, 
he's been displaced in regard to society, regard to family, regard to church, regard to marriage. I don't care what, what you list. And I'm looking at that and I'm going, and yet God obviously saw him, had compassion on him, and through the apostles brought new life to him. But he still let him, in the margin of those years, experience that. And yet, now the man is not going, well, it's about time, God. Thanks a lot. No, he's walking and leaping and praising God. He's going, I get it now. And where's the first place he goes? He goes into the temple. And, I, and I'm chewing on that because culturally, we, we've spent a lot of attention with that term marginalization. Nobody wants to be marginalized. We've spent a lot of energy saying that, um, well, take it this way. There's a lot of push saying that people in poor societies really shouldn't be breeding because it's not a full good life, right? And we've also looked at it even within our own cultures saying, yeah, you don't, you, you don't want kids while you're poor because, you know, that's, that's bad life for you, bad life for them. Oh, we don't verbalize it all that much, but it, it's certainly a part of the thought process. And yet, in that moment, we are also saying, that's a valueless life. That, does, that life really isn't precious. But what comes back toward us is that when we are placed in a group, so to speak, that isn't at the top, there's also this thing that comes back upon us that says, we're not valued either. And it goes deeper because we buy that lie for ourselves. And so when, when we start looking around and classifying disability, poverty, you can put your brand wherever you want, you're somehow coming back and saying that's a less than a blessed life or a ble- less than what can be good in God's eyes. And it's a dangerous slope because where that takes us ultimately is there's nothing here as well because all of us can find things that aren't perfect about life. And all of us can find things that are, in a sense, displacing us. That's why the, I, you, you have to marvel when James makes the declaration, pure religion looks after orphans and widows. The the most powerless of society, he says, true religion loves that individual, invests in that individual. And the picture is they have value. And so in some ways, you know, in this particular passage, God is is letting a man know in a wondrous way, I've seen your plight, 
and I want to bless you. And it, it, there isn't a lot of explanation of why. There isn't a, why'd you wait so long? But there's a joy in the recognition that God has touched him. And I, and I look at that and I'm going, some of us are very worried that our society might be crumbling, right? Some of us are very worried about where we're going financially that maybe we're not settled. Some of us are very concerned with our physical bodies going, it's falling apart. Some of us are very worried about issues of isolation or feeling displaced out of connection. I mean, that's been very easy this last year, right? To feel isolated. And, you know, earlier on, I, I was talking about well, what brings peace and what brings value. And if you have an understanding that God truly does care for you, you work from that premise outward rather than trying to define your life from the outward, define the interior by the outward. That doesn't work. But if you can define in yourself God cares and loves, then whatever circumstance you enter into, there's an opportunity to say, something good's going to take place here out of this. Something of value is still worthwhile here. Don't understand it in the moment, but still know that God has his hand on it. It's a wondrous thing. And that's, in some ways, what I encourage you that to cling to even in seasons like this where we, we don't know where things are going. But there's a confidence that says God sees, God cares, whether it's 40 years or more, doesn't really matter. He's invested in this. And it's a wonderful thing. I want to pray for God's blessing upon you, remind you there is a meal downstairs. Um, I encourage you in prayer to um, get things done, <laughs> right? That um, a lot of us, you know, Anna, you were going to share the thought that you had regarding this, but need to, we need to continue in the Lord until we get what we're looking for. You know, that this lame man, 40 years, had no dream of what could be until it happened. So anyway, may your blessing rest on these people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to walk in the fullness of life that you intended for them. As I ask, Lord, as each one goes into the community, that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you to stay.